Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. The Appetite is all about issues surrounding eating disorders. We bring the work that we do with those struggling with eating disorders to the broader population, talking so much about food, body image, sport, mental health, movement. And today we are talking about the sort of subtext to all of that, which is our hope that people can be in a recovered spot in their relationship to food. So today we are breaking down some of the definition of what recovered means, what the nuances are even between recovery, recovering, and then recovered. So um, we've got the entire Opal leadership team here today, which has been a little while since we've had this. So Dr. Alexi Giblin. Hello. 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 Kara <laughs> Bazzi. Hello. And Julie Church. Hello. Lexi, can you start us off and talk about kind of where the paradigm for recovery began? Yeah, so the chemical dependency community and um, the AA community has used this the terminology in recovery or recovering so as to say that you're never fully free of risk of relapse. And so the idea there is that substance dependence is a disease and it's like a it's biologically with you throughout your life so you can't ever be free of it so you're always recovering or in recovery from the disease that way of thinking has been I mean, applied to eating disorder recovery and it's not maybe it's not as quite as we think about it differently or a lot of people think about it a lot differently um, in the eating disorder treatment world and what would the difference be within the eating disorder world I think there has been controversy about can you be fully recovered? And one of the providers in our community, Carolyn Costin, um, was one of the first people to publicly out herself about her own eating disorder journey. Um, And she was also very bold about saying that she is in a recovered state, that it's in her past. And so she's brought that to the forefront of the eating disorder profession, that that is a possible outcome, that somebody can actually be fully recovered, and it is in the past. She has done a lot of talks around that. We've been, the three of us have been really influenced by her as a leader, because it aligns with our belief system as well, that that is different than the addiction model, um, that somebody can be recovered. Um, And I thought it might be helpful to read her definition of what it means to be recovered, because even that can be confusing. We can unpack that a bit about what does that mean in terms of thoughts and feelings and behaviors. But here is her definition. And this is in her book, 100 Questions and Answers About Eating Disorders. So being recovered to me is when the person can accept his or her natural body size and shape and no longer has a self-destructive or unnatural relationship with food or exercise. When you are recovered, food and weight take a proper perspective in your life, and what you weigh is not more important than who you are. In fact, actual numbers are of little or no importance at all. When recovered, you will not compromise your health or betray your soul to look a certain way, wear a certain size, or reach a certain number on a scale. When recovered, you do not use eating disorder behaviors to deal with, distract from, or cope with other problems. So she also kind of goes on to say on her website, one does not fear nor is tempted into relapsing back into the illness. That seems like such a different approach to actually allow 
clients to have a vision around sort of a hopeful end in sight rather than a lifelong process. There's so much nuance there, which I hope we can unpack today, because the process of being in recovery, uh, I think as you start investigating your eating disorder, you realize that there are so many different themes at play that have led you to an eating disorder. So there's going to be some line in there around what what continues as work to be done and what is just complete once you've figured out your relationship to food and body. And we are human, therefore we struggle. We're always in a healing process, right? So where do we kind of talk about that piece of always kind of working or potentially working towards more healing, more wholeness, and yet where does that also not kind of go into this idea of like where does the line, I guess, um, lie around being recovered from an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. I know for for me and my own, uh, we could talk more about our own recovery processes, but um, that feels very different. Yeah, right. Because it feels very separate. Your temperament will be the same before your, the onset mm-hmm. of your eating disorder and after the onset of your eating disorder, and so all of the kind of risk factors are still there, right? And you you may still have a lot of behaviors that are relate kind of similar in some ways to the eating disorder, but but then you could also be at the same time recovered. So like, for example, you might have an interest in routine and keeping things, you know, on to-do lists every day um, and having lots of order. But then maybe with eating, you're not, you don't need the same order anymore. You don't have that same focus on perfectionism with food. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a good time to name it, but kind of linking to that original sort of disease model out of AA is that that's also based on an abstinence model. So they would say that one is recovered in that they are not having substance, you know, the addictive substance. And with food, in the eating disorder recovery process, you can't be abstinent from food. So there isn't this clean line in the sand of one is not in recovery anymore because they relapsed because they had alcohol. (laughs) It's so different, so nuanced. It's so like, well, this person that you were just describing, Lexi, with this temperament, when somebody maybe becomes a bit more rigid and they have a flare of anxiety because they could get to the grocery store Sunday night to get their groceries for their week and do their planning in a particular week, does that mean they're relapsing? You know, because they had a flare of anxiety. (laughs) But no, I would say no, but it's all what's going to ensue, right? I feel like I can understand the way of thinking about how someone's temperament won't change. But I also feel like in some cases with recovery from eating disorder, temperament does change sometimes, I think, because you're asking yourself to be in relationship to something three to six or more times a day, that and that relationship starts changing in the same way that we maybe need to rewire our brains on relational da- dynamics with the people in our lives. Like, we can actually change those behaviors. So I, I, I wonder about how someone's anxiety or their rigidity would actually start transforming over time because they get to have this new mm-hmm. playground with food through the recovery process. Yeah, and in, in, from a radically open dialectical behavioral therapy lens, we yeah. would say, you know, temperament would stay stable, but your response to your temperament would vary. Okay. You know, so you would be maybe in recovery or when you're recovered, um, you might be quite flexible in your decisions in response mm-hmm. to food um, or in your life in general. Mm-hmm. But your core temperament, your core leanings biologically, neurobiologically would stay consistent. Okay. 
I think we could unpack that a little. I would mind unpacking that with my experience sure. of being yeah. recovered because I think um, I know I'm not representative of all recoveries, <laughs> but I do identify with being recovered, it being in the past, not having one ounce of fear of a relapse. And I get asked that question quite a bit, actually, with being more outspoken about my experience of um, do you fear that you're going to be relapsing or that you would relapse? And I can say with a lot of confidence that I don't. But to the point about the temperament thing, I think that there's a lot in my temperament that had a more restrictive element to it. So whether that was probably a function of my being more over-controlled, right? So I approached life in a lot of ways with more restriction. And yet through my process of um, all the work that I've done, which has a lot of many levels, I mean, it's not so simplistic, but the flexibility and the freedom that I've been able to establish in my relationship with food, my relationship with exercise, which is actually more significant work I had to do it in with exercise than with food. It is, it's fully now kind of wired in my being to be flexible with those things. But to give an example of an area that there's there's still work to be done is I still can recognize restrictive elements of my being when it comes to time. I don't treat time um, with the same level of permission and flexibility. Um, so, Kara, does this does this mean that like you don't have any urges at all to no. do it? So, like you don't have to fight urges um, and like kind of longings in any way. They don't even come up. No, as options in your mind. <laughs> no, it's it's not. There's no battle. I actually remember the last strong urge I had when it came to going for a run to um, kind of quote unquote fix my negative affect. And I, I remember that. I, re- I actually remember that last time that that urge was there. And since then, I haven't experienced any urges. Again, I think that the work that I've done has established this different way of being that it's not it's not relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, something that gets sort of stirred up in me about that is it seems also that something about the work that you've done in your recovery has actually put a stronger shield up against the culturally normative diet culture. And it seems that you don't seem influenced by those things either. So if it's the trendy food thing or the, I don't know, the way that fashion or images are out there or whatever, it just seems like you have a stronger block there than many people that have never even struggled with eating disorder. I would say that that's like, I have more tendency to be influenced by that stuff than I see you being influenced by. And I never had an eating disorder. So, and part of that was because the work that I did, I had to really address a lot of my fat phobia. I mean, I think part of it, I was influenced by the culture. I had my own incredible body hatred. I, had the same alignment with um, kind of weight bias as society has. And that was part of the the work I did in my recovery was really staring that down of my own addressing my own fat phobia. And so I think that's another piece that I just don't see people the way I used to see people. I don't hold that same judgment of fat, fear of my own fatness, um, fear of my own change. And I don't think I'd be in that place if I wouldn't have done a lot of the hard work. There, like, there's no way. I, I don't think I would feel that kind of removed from it if I wouldn't have done the work around mm-hmm. it. Um, that being said, I'm not, I'm not having to deal with weight bias being directed towards me because I am in a thinner body. And so I don't have the experience of somebody that's 
as uh, that some you know somebody in culture that somebody's um, judging. Yeah, I, I know that. I mean, I I know that I benefit from thin privilege as well, but my weight has fluctuated a lot over my lifetime. And so I think my recovery process has a different flavor to it as well, as there would be, you know, so many different stories around what recovery or what recovered is. Because I I think when my weight does swing, I notice that sometimes, a lot of times I really don't. I, I've said this before in terms of my relationship to exercise and my chronic pain and and sort of desiring to be more conscious and responsible around my body and its needs. I feel like sometimes my my weight does reflect that I'm not taking care of myself in a really holistic way, not not in this sort of like diety way. So that has caused confusion for me around around some of the thoughts I might have around a weight gain or a body change in some way um, that I would feel a bit more negatively or or hear some of the thoughts that I used to hear. And yet the behavior is totally different. And the way that I've conceptualized it for myself is that I have and have always had a part of me that I think includes the more eating disorder voice that wants to find some control or wants to find some version of self-destruction too. And I know how to talk to that voice. It doesn't mean that it's gone, but I know sort of my own story around why that voice developed, why it's there, what it means when it shows up. And I don't hear it and go, oh yeah, I should not eat today. I go, oh, huh, I'm really not doing well today. I have some some emotional things that I need to take care of that I've probably been putting on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And some of that then includes treating my body a little bit differently that day, but it's not through restriction. It's not through overexercise. It's not through binging. So, I th- yeah, mm-hmm. all that to say that I think that for me the, the, the line is very much between, like, emotion and behavior that I might feel some of the same ways that I did when I was yeah. 14 years old. But yeah. – I am not 14 mm-hmm. and I am not the, I'm not going to do the same thing. And, you know, when I think about the words recovering, recovered uh, versus recovered in my own experience, I I would say that I'm in recovery from um, the mainstream societal pressures of looking mm-hmm. a particular way. I don't feel recovered from that, even though I have, I have the position I do. Mm-hmm. And I still feel like I'm trying to work that out. Mm-hmm. It's still the urges come in, the thoughts come in, the ideas come in, the the pain, the all of it comes to me quite often. But then I I respond to it kind of like you're saying with yeah. with decisions that align with my values. So I don't think I'm recovered from <laughs> that, from being a woman in yeah. in our society mm-hmm. and, yeah. the, and the the pain of that. Yeah. But it brings up a really interesting point around like the the different things that might influence someone's eating disorder or their relationship to their body um, and how the power of that might remain really constant in someone's life in different ways, whether that be systemic racial trauma, maybe it is being in a, a woman in the world and seeing like sort of the sexualization of, of women in media, maybe it's trauma that happened because of a family member and you keep seeing the family member, like all of these things that might contribute to an eating disorder can remain or maybe those things get healed. Maybe they don't. And I wonder how people's relationship to their bodies and to food is influenced by those different factors Mm -hmm. and whether those are controllable or healable or sort of completed cycles or not. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? One of the things I was thinking about 
when you guys were both talking is that when I was younger and I didn't feel good enough, when I felt like crap or when I f- had the anxiety, then the solutions, right, like the the energy went towards the body to fix. The energy went towards the food. The preoccupation came towards that. That's where my mind went. That's where the energies lied. When I feel anxiety now, when there is things that I don't feel good about, when I start to feel insecure attachment, when those things show up, it gets manifested different. I think it does get like more played out through maybe being more compulsive with my email or being kind of in an achievement pattern or I like maybe now I get a little bit more in that. Um, I think it gets manifested through more of my relationship with time or tasks. And those are my flags for where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, and and even more, but more specifically to my struggle, I would say I, I still I struggle with body image satisfaction specifically. Yeah, you know, and that's where I would say I'm not recovered. Yeah, from the impact of of our culture. Yeah, on my my being, I still like feel like I still struggle with that gnawing, like ah, you know, yeah. feeling all the time. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like that's not been that's not where what you experience. Yeah, anymore. Yeah, anymore. Right. Yeah. Like right. that's yeah. Right. And I, I I would speak to implicit bias around weight that I have not chosen to have. And I feel like I I continue to make choices. My values don't align with that. But but I still have moments where I have a reaction to a situation and I can see, oh, whoa, that's weight bias in me. And I don't, you know, that's where I'm like, I'm in process, I'm still in process and I am making choices business, family, you know, things that will support, like all of those things to align with my values. But that doesn't mean that I have a reaction in a moment that I don't like, you know, like that's, uh, um, and specifically, I guess, around some of the fat phobia. Like I, I would say, I can't, I can't say that I don't have moments where that fear comes up because I see the way that the society lives and I have that like instinct that I go, whoa, okay. So I don't, I, I feel like that's the piece that because I didn't, Full, fully ever develop an eating disorder, I have compassion, I guess, for those that have gone, if I look at it in a continuum, have gone all the way over there <laughs> to an eating disorder to then have the process to get further, quote unquote, than maybe where I've ever gone is it that's that's a lot. That's yeah. a that's a lot to consider. Um and I I just yeah, I think speaking to, yeah, if it's racism or if it's other types of oppression. I just think, yeah, there's a, there's a process that people have to get through. And if I, someone that didn't ever have any eating disorder, that conti- has had my own process with food and body, but um, still have these moments of of this bias, that, ah. <laughs> right, right. And in some ways, it seems like the, the wound could be cleaned out more thoroughly when the, it's more extreme. I think right? that's that kind of like, what Kara's yeah, saying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and yet also the road is longer mm-hmm. yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And, I think that that probably speaks to the privilege too of of those that get access to treatment, treatment right? Totally. That there's actual support and totally. a roadmap that's set out before them to go. Hey, there's a process here where you could be in this mm-hmm. kind of relationship with your body or this kind of relationship with food. Whereas I'm sure some people that know that they have a problem with food have no idea what the alternative is mm-hmm. um, and are trying to maybe treat themselves a little bit better or something. Mm-hmm but not necessarily have the clarity around the impact biologically, mm-hmm. therefore medically, emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. that their eating disorder is having on their body and, and yeah. what it could look like. Yeah. I've also wondered just, at least for in my own experience, because I'm like, it's so, 
I wonder, there's a lot I wonder about, but the fact that I am a therapist, so I'm reinforcing every day that yeah. voice mm -hmm. through counseling people, through teaching people, right? Like that, that's got to have some impact on how, how solid that is yeah. and how deep it goes. But I, I mean, I don't know what it'd been like if I would have been in another profession, right? <laughs> right? Well, you could get away with it more, I think, right? Like subconsciously, if you're not in the environment of having to... Yeah, you're constantly mm -hmm. reinforced yeah. when you're in this field, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. And challenge, you know, like push to continue to mm -hmm. see the ways, kind of continue to take the onions off. I, yeah. For sure. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, Julie, do you see any particular behaviors with your clients as a dietitian where you're able to kind of notice some of the marked change that happens when someone's sort of in recovery versus recovered? Are any, like, specific examples coming to mind? Well, I think coming back to even some of the definition that Carolyn Costin used, I liked I liked thinking about numbers being less important. I, I think that's something that's pretty key that I see change. So if it, yeah, just thinking about calories or thinking about macros or thinking about frequency, of eating, I don't know, just all the things that maybe had some rigidity or counting, that going away and that not being a guide. Mm. So I would say that's pretty key. Uh, the other piece is the authentic expression. Somebody withhold like there's a there's an initial gut thought like I want to eat that, but then an eating disorder the eating disorder influences somebody to then choose to do something else, and yeah. that that authentic expression of like I want that that's what sounds good. Uh, and I'm going to follow that, and somebody naturally going with that. I would say that's a picture of recovery versus putting all these reasons why I shouldn't or couldn't or will five hours from now or two days from now or something. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That speaks to Carolyn Costin's words too around betrayal of the soul. Mm -hmm. Like there's, yeah. you're describing someone being more in a, a flow of their life force mm -hmm. that they're not using some external structure to decide what they're going to do with their body or how they're going to feel about themselves or their body or their food, et cetera. And those numbers, even if someone hasn't isn't counting anymore, but they're not sort of in this state where they get to just be free. Mm -hmm. um, that's not in a place that necessarily they're tapped in, maybe to soul. Yeah, yeah. yeah and the expression of self, of course, is going to be very diverse. It's going to be very yeah. unique. So I think of even our episodes that we've done of us sharing. So how do you engage with right. grocery shopping and food and the logistics around eating? And what about exercise and movement? And I just think. The landing place, actually landing place of recovery or recover, you know, being recovered is going to look so different for everyone. And I think that gives that grayness that's so different than the substance use environment because it's like, don't use it or use it, you know. And with eating disorder recovery, it's just like, who's the natural expression or what does it look like to be Garter? Yeah. <laughs> what does it look like to be Julie? Right. It's going to be different. so different. Yeah. <laughs> One idea that was I've been recently working with the artist way, which is Julia Cameron's work, but really amazing. Book. Yes, Carter introduced me <laughs> to it, and I know loves it. But one thing that struck me throughout some of the chapters is she uses the term artistic anorexia, mm -hmm. and I really appreciated her use of the word anorexia because. Just the relatability, at least I had and connected with the making kind of the virtue out of deprivation. And 
I, I guess I was just prompted by what Julie said of um, for somebody who identifies more with a restrictive food disorder, and I know that's not all food, you know eating disorders, but um, certainly it was mine. Um, the discomfort and the reclaiming of of even thinking of words like abundance and rest and play, a play uh, pleasure, luxury, tapping back into our our true yeah ourselves and our souls, and it that's very difficult to do when that restrictive deprived anorexic framework is kind of bound you up as a complete person right yeah I love that example I mean speaking often as someone that both you know loves to talk about food and recovery and then also talk about creativity the process of thinking through sort of the themes that Julia Cameron references of sort of being okay with pleasure and luxury and all these things it it then gives you a new framework to see where your the themes of your eating disorder maybe have manifested whether you've had an eating disorder or not i think that those temperamental things about someone can be translating in all these different areas of their life i know that with my creativity i feel like there's still recovery to be had around finding freedom and discipline and like sort of being in that dialectic, um, which is the same story with my relationship to food and body. Yeah, where that's I'm, Alan Satter's language yes. of freedom and discipline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally, permission and discipline. Right. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways to approach that. And mm. I think that, yeah, I mean, just to plug that book for a yeah. second, I feel like <laughs> it it is about the recovery of life force, mm-hmm. I think, which mm-hmm. is creativity. And whether you're someone that leans toward creativity or not, it's such a beautiful book Lexi, I keep seeing you write stuff down. We can edit stuff out, but I just want to check oh. if there's anything you all, you wanted to add. I Well, the only thing that I maybe haven't spoken to is just this, you know, thinking about recovering versus recovered. And if you're recovering or in recovery, how that may keep you, keep you attached to being in the illness. Mm. And how when you're, if you, if you shift your thinking to recovered, then maybe that allows for more possibility to live into a life beyond eating disorder. Because I think if you're, you don't have symptoms, but then you're still worried about relapse or you're still connected to that possibility, I wonder what, how that impacts somebody's willingness to kind of move on with their life. Absolutely. Yeah. And we see so much entanglement, right, of identity with an eating disorder in self. So that's so true, right? Yeah, Yeah. identity. That's a good way to Mm -hmm. put it. So it could be terrifying to be recovered if there's a lack of identity outside of it. Yeah, Stepping into the unknown, it really taps into the, the fear of the risk-taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who am I beyond yeah. which eating disorder recovery? Totally. That is like, yeah, I mean, just thinking of all the clients that have stepped through the walls, like the the moment when they're, yeah, the rug's pulled out from underneath them and it's just painful. Mm-hmm. So. And then also the moment at the end of maybe their journey at Opal, not in higher level of care, but even outpatient, going like, I think I don't want to be seen anymore in the context of an eating disorder right. clinic. Mm-hmm. I want to go find another therapist. Mm-hmm. Like That's such a cool moment, mm-hmm. actually, um, for someone to say, like, I don't really want to come into these doors anymore. Like, I want to go somewhere else and talk about other stuff and have someone not assume that I might be struggling with food today yeah it's so it's boring yeah food and body so boring it's boring that's a good sign <laughs> that's a really good sign right yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I remember feeling a bit of anger around that, you know, somewhere within my time at Opal. I would maybe cycle through that sometimes feeling like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I've done a lot of work around <laughs> this. I'm like, can we talk about other stuff? Mm. <laughs> like, that's probably a good sign for my own health. And also, <laughs> you know, that's some of the the thing that got me excited to keep talking about it, right, is that there can be an insight where you go, okay, I'm not obsessed with this anymore. I'm not obsessed with my body. I'm not obsessed with food. What else do we get to talk about? Who else are you? I love thinking of clients, you know, that have been in I- IOP and they're in the pH with the PHP group and several clients will say like, I don't really, this conversation feels, you know, 1980 to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, this is old school conversation. I don't need to be in this conversation anymore. And those moments are 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 neat, um, yeah. though painful for the person because all of a sudden they don't belong to this. They don't feel a sense of belonging in the same way they did. Right. You know? mm. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast so you're up to date on our next releases. We also hope that you'll leave a review for the podcast um, on your preferred podcast app. This can really help the appetite get some more visibility so that people that are interested in these topics can find it. Thank you so much to Daniel Gunther at Jackstraw Cultural Center, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. 